John chapter 12, <clears throat> that ask a question, is he worthy? I want you to turn to John 12, and I want to read uh, this account for you. I'm going to read down through verse 8, John chapter 12. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a, div- a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who later was to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume For the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you. But you will not always have me. Meanwhile a large crowd of Jews followed. Or found out that Jesus was there. And came not only because of him. But also to see Lazarus. Whom he had raised from the dead. The chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him. Many of the Jews were going over to Jesus. And believing in him. You know, as we come into the new year, <clears throat> we have time to evaluate various areas of our lives. And there are some of those areas that are more traditional to evaluate. Often we take time to look at our physical condition to see whether we need to change our eating habits, uh, increase our exercise, those types of things. Sometimes we look at relational areas in our life and we look at conflicts that we intend to resolve and areas in our life that we intend to improve on in our marriage. Sometimes we look at our financial condition, and we're terrified, all right? We realize that we need to make adjustments, maybe need to take Dave Mercer's seminar called Financial Peace and try to get the the things in order. So new years are times that we have to set new expectations, to uh, make new commitments, to review also our personal spiritual condition. This morning, I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you via the text that we're looking at to take some time to look at your spiritual condition, to evaluate your affections and your relationship to Jesus by comparing it to the affection of Mary in this account. And this account obviously is the story of a great, profound sacrifice, Uh, In that sacrifice, Mary answers the question, is Jesus Christ worthy of my greatest possessions, of my greatest sacrifice? Does his life and his work demand more from me? The answer for Mary is is without question, an unequivocal yes. And so this morning, as we just walk through this simple account from the life of Mary, I want you to look at your own life. I want you to ask yourself, if I was in that position in relationship to Jesus, would I have made the same profound sacrifice? I want to set the context for this 
uh, account, uh, verse 1 says it was six days before the Passover. If you go back and just study a little bit about timing, you'll know that this is six days prior to the crucifixion of Christ. Technically, probably five days. So the hour that Jesus had been avoiding has now come. The hour of his passion, the fundamental primary purpose for his coming is right at the door. Chapter 11, verse 57 says, The chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found Jesus, he should report it so that they might arrest him. If you go back to Mark chapter 13, you'll find it's even stronger. That their intention to kill Christ had reached a, a, a fever pitch. They were committed to the destruction of Christ. Now the fascinating part of the context is that up to this point, when pressure increased in relationship to a desire to take Jesus out, Jesus would move out of town. This happened specifically in the town of Bethlehem where the Pharisees knew that he was there. They started to move in that direction. Jesus, knowing it was not his hour, moved out of trouble. When you come into John chapter 12, Mark chapter 14, Jesus is not moving from trouble. He's moving towards trouble. Okay, so there is a very palpable shift in Jesus' response to the Pharisees' animosity, hatred, and murderous desire towards him. Okay, there is a shift. Jesus no longer avoids it. <coughs> Instead, now he walks <coughs> towards it. And in Mark chapter 14 and verse 1, which is the parallel text, it says, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly to kill him. Okay, so there is a, just a very clear intention so that's the setting in which Mary is moving towards Jesus. Jesus is moving towards danger. Mary is moving towards Jesus. It's the third and final, final Passover. As we know that the life of Christ in the Gospel of John is marked out by three Passover celebrations. Chapter 2, chapter 6, and now again in chapter 12. So this third year and final Passover, when Christ will become the ultimate Passover sacrifice lamb, that time has come. Okay? The other thing we know as we move into this setting is that Jesus in chapter 11 had snatched their brother from the grave. Lazarus was raised from the dead, and Mary and Martha were delivered from a profound grief. Okay, so that becomes a little bit of the, the setting. So there's something in this text, John chapter 12, that relates back to the promises that Jesus makes in John chapter 11, where he reveals to Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He reveals something of his infinite and profound, immeasurable worth, and then exercise that authority towards their brother Lazarus in raising him from the dead. So in John chapter 12 and verse 2, it says that a dinner, right? It says here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. The cast of characters are very simple. You have Martha, who is preparing the meal. You have Mary, who is preparing a sacrifice. And you have Lazarus, who is sitting at the table, enjoying the very presence of the one who raised him from the dead. Okay, so those are the three primary <clears throat> characters. 
So I want us to look at the first part of this account, and that kind of sets the stage. Verse 3 says this. It says, then Mary. Now you could take the word then and translate it therefore, and you probably get a little bit better sense of what's happening here. In light of the fact that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, they call for a celebratory meal to remember that specific event. And so Jesus and Lazarus are at the table. Lazarus, who the text very clearly says was dead, but now has been raised from the dead. Okay? And so he's, he's sitting there at the table with Jesus. Presumably, the 12 disciples are present as well at this dinner in honor of Jesus. Enter into the account Mary. It says, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So let's look at two things real quickly. First of all, what is presented, and then how it was done. Okay, so we see first in the text that there is this introduction of a a vessel or a vase that contains perfume. So if you think of something that would be very strong in, in its essence, in its fragrance, okay, that, that if you kind of try to calculate in, in New Testament terminology about the size of this, it's about the size of a soda can, about 12 to 14 ounces of pure perfume from presumably the country of India. That's where most people suggest that this came from. So it's a large amount for the purpose of anointing. So that begins to introduce into the story this picture of extravagance, of of a fullness of the sacrifice. So the quantity is a large amount. Its value is stated by Judas in the next verse, right? So it says that it's worth about 300 days wages. Okay, and I want you to just think about that for a second. If I was to go into kind of contemporary... Uh, finances, I would say that if someone's earning 12 to $15 an hour, you're talking about a gift that has a value of twenty-five dollars to $30,000. Okay? Now, I'm going to make a guess that none of you in this room for Christmas received a gift worth $25,000. Now, some of you might have for some odd reason, but that would not be norm. In fact, here's what I would say. If I saw your parent after the service and they told me they did that, I'd say, that was extreme, that was excessive, that was extravagant, out of bounds, okay? That's the situation that provokes the tension in this text. The value of what Mary brings is what causes the response. But I want you to notice, before I look at that real quick, I want you to notice what she does, because it's crucial. Mark chapter 14 says that she crushes the vessel. Perhaps she breaks the neck off of it so that it cannot be retrieved. And in Mark chapter 14, you find that there is a kingly anointing where the head of Christ is anointed. And in John chapter 12, you find the further detail that she also anoints the feet of Jesus and then wipes them with her hair, which is the irregular statement in the picture. The anointing of a kingly royal figure, which Jesus to them is, in light of his ability to raise Lazarus from the dead, he is worthy of royalty and praise. Okay, and so Mary is 
is responding in a way that she thinks is utterly justifiable. Okay, as I thought through this and thought about extravagant gifts that we give on a traditional or regular basis, I thought of engagement rings. Okay, very seldom do we give a gift of that value. Okay, now my wife's not here. So my wife doesn't show people her ring, okay? I was bonafidely at rock bottom financially when I bought my wife her ring. If you ask her to see it after the service, she will show it to you with the biggest smile on the planet because she is so easy, okay? But 600 bucks back in 1984 was a, was a lot of money, okay? It's, it's probably on a scale of things, okay? It probably ranks as one of the most expensive gifts that you will give to someone that you treasure because you want to honor them. Sometimes people tell you what they paid for their wedding ring and you kind of are put back by it. You, you sense a degree of extravagance or excess, but you understand because of the nature of what that gift was intended to communicate, right? So the same thing is true in this story. Jesus is not struggling with the sacrifice of Mary. One is, along with a few others presumably, okay, but you find that this gift that Mary gives is extravagant, but how she does it is even more extravagant. In the New Testament era, for a woman to take down her hair in public could be misread as somewhat of a coming on to someone. But in this text, there's no concern whatsoever about that. There is a full understanding that Mary is completely dedicated to honoring Christ in the most humble fashion. She takes down her hair and wipes his feet with her hair. There is something in that picture that's hard for us to grasp in our era. But in that time, this would be the symbol of greatest humility on her part. Not humiliation. Please understand. Mary is not humiliating herself. She is humbling herself before Christ. She's not degrading herself. She's aligning herself with the person and power of Jesus in the only way that she can deem appropriate in that setting. So the head of Christ for his royalty, the feet of Christ for his profound and perfect humanity, anointing his body. We'll come back as we close to the absolute significance of that. Folks, one thing we need to realize as we come before Christ and as we evaluate our relationship and walk with him, there is only one appropriate posture before Jesus, and that is on our knees. Okay, I need to see Christ for who he really is. And when I see him for who he, who he really is, there will be a sense of hum humility in my heart before him that leads to a surrender of the most precious things in his presence. The text says then in verse 3 that the whole house was filled with the aroma of this anointing. No one could miss it. Once it was poured out, it filled every part. Now I think we could say of Mary's act, the minimum we can say is that it was extravagant. Now you could say it was extravagant or excessive in a critical way, or you can say that, wow, she truly loved honored and adored Jesus in a way that changed her assessment of precious things. One writer I read years ago said about this text and defining this extravagant act said her gift was her very best given to honor 
and exalt Jesus. Because for her, the most precious one had made the very precious thing utterly expendable and available. Does that make sense? The most precious one changed the value of the precious thing so that it became expendable for Christ. Okay? So I want you to think of that. Am I... Am I valuing, am I treasuring Christ in a way that releases me from the dominance and the bondage of material things? Do I experience that liberating power of affection for Christ that alters how I function? Okay, in the same way that for my wife, I was able in that 1984 era to give up 600 bucks to buy something that would make her feel special. So Mary assessed what she had and said, Christ is of greater worth, therefore I make it available to honor him. In this extravagant act, in this lavishness, she opens herself to misunderstanding. She opens herself to criticism. And as you move into the next part of the text, you'll see this, the response or the objection of the audience. Verses 4 through 5, it gives... Judas's response. It says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. So you find this strong response from Judas. I think if we said Judas is angry, we would miss the point. Okay, I think Judas's response is, is somewhat of a sophisticated pretension. Can I say it that way? That, 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 that he, it, it's a bit condescending towards Christ and towards Mary. Mary sacrificed Christ's perception of it both to Judas. It's pathetic. It's unreasonable. It's extravagant. It's an excess. That's Judas's assessment. The other thing I want you to realize is if you read the parallel account in Mark chapter 14, you will notice that it wasn't just Judas who responded negatively to the sacrifice. You will find that there were others who were joining in, meaning even for the loyal followers of Christ, this level of sacrifice, this level of commitment was a little off-putting to them. I don't know if it made them feel guilty or if they were just put off by this level of sacrifice, didn't yet fully grasp the glory of Christ and his coming passion in a way that would release from their hands everything in his service. Mark 14 says this. It says, they rebuked her harshly. Those words can be translated, they, they snorted with displeasure. You probably had this happen, right? Like, what? What are you thinking? Why'd you spend that much, right? There's, there's a, it's off-putting, it's pretentious, it's, it's meant to degrade and devalue the affection that drove the sacrifice. It's not understood. Now, what we learn from the text is that Judas's love, spoken, is actually theater. Okay? He's like a good politician. Right? He's acting like he would do the right things if he had the opportunity, but you find out that he's really in it for himself, right? So verse 6 says that Judas was the treasurer. They put money in a bag. He took care of the bag, but he pilfered from the bag. 
Okay, so Judas's affections were not for Jesus. They were for material things. And can I argue that sometimes our passion and pleasure in material things affects our sacrifice towards Christ and for Christ? We get a warped perspective. We think that the temporal thing is the most important thing. That's where the other disciples were. Judas, clearly theater. The other disciples are wrestling with the magnitude of the sacrifice, the event, and and they're struggling with, that could have been given to the poor. Jesus will later address that issue and say, you'll always have the poor with you. That opportunity is repeatable. It will always be present. But sometimes there is a higher goal than the temporal goal that needs to be pursued and met. And that is what Mary does in this circumstance. And it is that to which Jesus will shortly respond. In Mary's simple world, she sees Jesus' infinite worth. She saw what happened in relationship to her brother Lazarus. Judas's focus on the economic significance, the purchase price of the pure nard. Mary sees the infinite worth of Jesus. And it, it, it alters her perspective dramatically. I mean, for someone living in the ancient world at that time, something of that value would not normally be present in a house. So we don't even know what happened. We don't know if it was a family heirloom that finally met an appropriate moment and is given fully. Or if Mary and Martha and Lazarus had, had come together to find something that would appropriately exalt Christ and give thanks to Christ. And so at this meal in her honor, where Mary is cooking and Lazarus is sitting, and all the ladies said, that's what men typically do, right? We find Mary coming to bring the sacrifice. So you don't, you don't know for sure, but somehow this event is set up to bring highest honor to Christ, to treat him like royalty, because that's what anointing the head and feet would be. She was exalting the person of Christ without even fully knowing all that she was doing. Can I challenge you with one simple thought? I think sometimes we assess We assess the depth of our commitment to Christ and we, 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 we begin to live out our commitment to Christ, but we're often concerned about the audience that is watching how we love Christ. And sometimes we tend to play to the crowd. We want to be respectable believers rather than radical believers. You ever wrestled with that? I often, when people find out a pastor, they often say to me, are you one of those, like, Bible bangers? <laughs> okay, and I said, wait. I said, are you asking me if I believe that what the Bible says is true? They say, yeah. I say, yeah, I am. Okay? Like, yeah, we believe that the Word of God is truth. We believe that the accounts of the work of Christ for our redemption and salvation are true. Have you ever found yourself holding back a little bit because you're more concerned about how you'll be perceived than you are about exalting Christ. It's convicting. Here's one thing I know in this text. Mary had no concern for what anybody thought. She had to anticipate 
that some would respond to her selfless act with displeasure. And she was absolutely correct and absolutely committed to giving Christ everything he deserved in that circumstance. at, At a meal in his honor for bringing Lazarus back from the dead, she would give everything. Because that's the value of life itself, isn't it? So the last part of the story is Jesus comes to her defense. Verse 7 is very beautiful. It's a very straightforward rebuke. Leave her alone. Back off. Back off. Notice what he says. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. And you might... I'm going to give you a, a suggested different way of reading that, okay? To prepare my body for burial. If you go back and read Mark 14, you still go, start to get this sense that Mary is doing it because she loves Christ. Mary is doing it because she has seen a revelation of Christ that clearly declares that he is in the realm of royalty. All right, that's what's driving her. But Jesus interprets her act in a different way. She unwittingly in her sacrifice, is preparing the body of Christ for its coming burial. Okay, does that make sense? So it's an unwitting connection to the death of Christ that's going to come in five or six days. She does it to honor Christ. Jesus says, received. But Mary, the purpose of your sacrifice, the acknowledgement of it, is greater than you can even comprehend. Meaning, I am going to go to the cross to pay the ultimate price for your sin. And I will rise from the dead as King of kings and Lord of lords. All right, And, and, and he, he takes this sacrifice of Mary, well-intended, purely intended, and attaches it to the work that will occur in just a few days. What he is acknowledging is simply this. Mary's heart is moving in the right direction. And as your heart begins to move in the right direction in faith towards God, you will get in the flow of what he is doing. And you will accomplish greater things than you could ever even anticipate or imagine. Okay, There is a greater work that comes out of that kind of sacrifice and surrender. More is done than was intended. She knew that he was worthy in ways that she could not comprehend and acted. But she was doing more than she knew. Her selfless act was in some way declaring the coming sacrifice of Christ in ways that she could not fully comprehend or understand. What she intended for a king, Jesus interpreted as for a corpse. Do you see? Because Jesus knew that the purpose for the coming of the king was to ultimately go into a battle to defeat death itself. And Lazarus sits there as what? As an indication prior to the resurrection of Christ that he is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. And that whoever lives and believes in him will never die even if their life ends because of the resurrection power of Christ. Can I encourage you this morning? Don't let the voices of criticism or your fear of it, or your anticipation of it. Moderate your love for Christ in this new year. Remember that He is the resurrection and the life, and as such, He is in fact worthy. You know, last Sunday the choir sang to us the song, Is He Worthy? 
I hope, as the choir sang, that you felt something in your heart that, that wanted to be invited in to say, He is. As I look at the sacrifice of Mary, Mary answers the question, Is He worthy? Emphatically. And her incredible sacrifice is the beginning of a glorious host of people who love and desire to honor Christ above all things. And folks, I'm going to tell you this. The meal was given in the honor of Christ because he raised Lazarus from the dead. That's why the meal was given. But it reached so much further than that, didn't it? And, and, and Mary, just she, she's just getting in on the front edge of this story of the power of Christ and the resurrection. You'll see in about a week and two days at the resurrection who is at the tomb. Mary. What did she come to do? She had come to complete what she started. And what did she find? That he was not there. He was risen from the dead. The angel says to her, why are you seeking the living among the dead? The one that you anointed king is king over life and death. And worthy of all of your sacrifice. And all of your praise. You know, if you go back to Mark chapter 14, you will find that Jesus hails Mary as an exemplar. 14 verse 9, he says, I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told in memory of her. And here's what that means. It means the, the sacrifice of Mary that was perceived as excessive, lavish, extravagant, maybe going a little bit too far, was seen by Christ and was approved by Christ And wherever the gospel of Jesus is preached from the gospel of Mark and John, what Mary did will be talked about again and again and again. Why? Because she rightly perceived the person of Christ and rightly responded from her temporal things to the eternal presence and person of Jesus. Folks, here's the bottom line. Affection... And appreciation for Jesus drives our behavior. So as you go into the new year, I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to immerse yourself in the person of Christ. Read the Gospels. Look at what Christ has done. Understand his teaching. Gain an understanding of how deeply and how much he loves you. And let it begin to transform your daily life. Let it prompt in your life. Actions, words, commitments, sacrifices, service that someone might look at and say, huh, that's a little odd. Think of this. When is the last time that your commitment to Christ raised somebody's eyebrows? That your love and devotion and commitment to him, to his church, caused people to say, huh. There are families in our church that have made choices in the last two or three years that raised my eyebrows. But I know they did what they did and are doing what they're doing because they love Christ and want to see him made known. So my question to you is this. What in this year does Jesus want to change in your life? You know, it's so tempting, isn't it, to live for ourselves. It's easy for us to look at that account about Judas and say, that evil man, he put it in the bag, he took out some for himself. Do you realize how easy it is for us 
to justify our personal excess. Our personal indulgence. Why we withhold from Jesus what he truly deserves. And I think one of the primary ways we do that is we crave the approval of people. And so we avoid any act that would raise the eyebrows around us because what we really want to be seen as is a respectable, thoughtful, intellectual Christian. I love when people perceive me that way. But I don't make a difference in people's lives when they see me that way. Okay, and I'm not saying go out and be ignorant, be loud. I'm not saying that. Mary, this was, this was a quiet, profound act that captured the attention of everybody that was aware of it. And Jesus says, wherever the gospel is preached, that kind of sacrifice will be spoken about. It was approved by Christ. So I want to encourage you, as you you move into the new year, each of us has three things. We each have time, talent, and treasure. We have 24 hours every day. Ed Quinones and I have the same amount of time every day, right? Sometimes we foolishly say, well, I save time by doing this. I'm like, really? We don't save time. We all have the same amount, right? We have various levels of talent. That is, capacities to serve, capacities to make a difference. Many of them inspired and given by the Spirit of God. I can take them out of the bag and use them for myself. Or I can take them out of the bag and deploy them to service for others. Okay, I want you to think about it. There's a lot of things that you can do in your life, people with a large variety of capacities. Are you unleashing them in a way that makes a difference in someone's life? Or are you simply using them to aggrandize your own experience for you and yours? Okay, Mary took what she had and said, Christ is worthy of it all, no strings attached. In a way that caused people to say, huh. Folks, the way we best impact our culture is by untethered devotion to Christ. Will we realize his infinite worth worth like Mary did and we, we, we untether ourselves from the things that hold us back? It can be people things, it can be monetary things, primarily those two categories. I want the approval of people so I won't go full in for Christ. Or I love my possessions so I won't give generously to make a difference for Christ. All right, this text kind of just puts it out there and people criticize and Christ says, that's the only appropriate response. So I want to encourage you as you move into the new year to be thoughtful about those things and to shun the desire to be respectable and to pursue the path of the radical. Remember that one day the voice of human praise that we all crave will fall silent. One day, the approval that you long for will fall silent. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, I want to hear at the end of my life, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what Mary heard this day. Mary, well done. In that culture, to take a woman and exalt her in such a way was unheard of. The exemplar that emerges out of the story is not Lazarus. Lazarus sitting there with a big smile on his face. He doesn't even know what happened. But Mary sits back 
and in front of all those disciples, all those followers, here's, well done, well done, good and faithful servant, because he is worthy. You know, later in this chapter, I just want to read you this text and we'll close. Verses 23 to 27. Jesus says the hour has come. Same context. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. It's, a, it's isolated. It's not beneficial to anybody. Notice what he says. But if it dies, seeds die by going into the ground and then they break apart. If it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life, his vase of perfume, will lose it. While the man who hates his life in this world, that is, is it, it, to hate it is to be willing to give it up. Not to take it, but to be willing to release it, to give it up. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Folks, listen to that. The reason Mary's sacrifice is so great is she will receive it back in spades in eternity. You'll never outgive God in time, talents, and treasure. You'll keep it for eternal life. Why would you hold on to temporal things and sacrifice eternal things? That's stupid. Mary got it. I will, in her, I'll never have an opportunity so glorious to magnify someone so worthy as I do right now. And in that moment, the precious thing becomes least precious because of the most precious one. Jesus says, whoever serves me must follow me. He must be radical. My Father will honor those who serve me. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason, our redemption, that he came into the world. Jesus' response to the call of his Father on the cross, Father, glorify your name. Why? Because you're worthy. And may the heart cry of every believer in this church family this year be, God, you're worthy. In my life, through my resources of time, talent, and treasure, glorify your name. Use my life this year coming to make a difference. And I want you to think. Think through the specific areas where God has been calling and you've been resisting. Take the vase. Break it. Pour it out in your life. And let the aroma of your life begin to influence others around you for the glory and good of the work of God. May God do this in us in the year ahead. Father, we're thankful for this account. We're thankful for the selfless sacrifice of Mary and for the lesson that it brings to each one of us in how to live for the glory of God. Father, help us as we go into this new year to rightly and honestly assess our lives. Maybe we need to do that with our mate. Maybe we need to do that with our children in our workplace. I don't know, God. But with someone else, may we say, God, please, lead me in a path of radical, appropriate sacrifice for the glory of Christ. And God, help us in every sacrifice to exalt the incredible, inestimable value of Jesus for a watching world around us that so desperately needs to see the difference that Jesus makes. 
So Lord, we pray your prayer this morning. Glorify your name. In us we pray because you are the worthy one. It is in your name that we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.